0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Something to Drink About podcast, show that shines a light on the Hudson Valley's leading hospitality professionals. With me today is a good friend of mine, Brett Cozen, PM Spirits. Brett, welcome to the show, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, first thing I want to get into is uh, your education at Rutgers. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I mean, I grew up in I grew up in New Jersey, born and raised. I uh, went to Rutgers. Uh, and got a degree in uh, cultural anthropology, which uh, at once has nothing to do with what I do for work and sort of everything as well. Um, it's kind of one of those things that uh, history and uh, science and, um, you know, kind of cultural elements that come along with them. Um, and yeah, I, I did a lot of kind of research and um, writing on that kind of stuff while getting that degree. And uh, then that kind of evolved into what I, you know, sort of wound up doing at least Thus far in my life as a as a career um, in terms of not just selling booze but um, selling booze that are more than just you know a liquid in a bottle and you know, have a story behind them and you know there's something interesting to go along with them and you know most of the stuff we work with as you know is you know they're products made by actual people in you know a way that they've maybe been doing for a hundred years or more, or you know it's just one person in a field somewhere and um rather than just uh, you know a brand name on a bottle, um, but you know i i didn't graduate and just start working at p m immediately but um it was definitely kind of a culmination of um, a lot of my interests and my education and background and stuff in terms of um, you know being into booze on you know multiple levels um, being into the sort of cultural element of um, you know food and beverage and um being into working for a company that, you know, kind of does what it does with, with conviction. Um I, when I first graduated Rutgers, actually my, my first job out of college, I worked for a very large, uh, liquor distributor in New Jersey. Um probably the second biggest in New Jersey, at least it was back then. Um not gonna name names, but you know, it's, it's, it's your typical big, Liquor distributor, big that, corporate guys, exactly. Um, and you know, they, they they do the stuff that that moves a lot. You know, kind of boring um, bulk wine and uh, you know all, all all your big brand names. And it's cool. You know, those businesses have to exist. I, I think I sort of remember I, so I I interned there for like seven or eight months, kind of on like a marketing role. And I remember when I left, I was like, I never want to work in 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 this this industry or this kind of job again. It's just it, it's the kind of company where everyone who works there is just like an old dude who's been working there forever and they do the same thing all the time and sell their you know 50 cases of Bacardi to this store here and a lot of those people are people who might as well be selling cars. It's, it, it's all the same to those people. They could easily sell cars. They could easily sell booze. They could easily sell um, I don't know tennis balls. Um, you know people who work for that kind of company at least that specific company at that specific time. They're salespeople, not necessarily salespeople of uh, you know quality yeah yeah i mean there was definitely some quality stuff there especially on, on on the on the wine side for the most part the people didn't really care about what they were selling which is mm-hmm. fine you know not everybody is fortunate enough to have a job that they give a shit about more than just the pay. but yeah i think i remember like never wanting to do or work at a company like that again and then i moved to new york city i worked in public relations in like the tech industry for for a few years and then i moved out of the city moved upstate and worked in hospitality for a little bit two and a half or so years ago now Uh, i started working for pm which is kind of funny because it's full circle but in a very different way um you know yeah pm is a importer and distributor and that company i worked for right out of college is a distributor but Other than that, there is very little in common between the two companies, both in terms of size and in terms of structure and the kind of products they work with and the ethos as a whole. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the ethos of the whole of that, that bigger company is for better or for worse, make, make money, you know, which is, you know, a lot of businesses ethos and something that all businesses need to do. But other than that, there wasn't much of a guiding, um, principle, which is fine. You know, people, there are plenty of things that I don't particularly care for that I'm perfectly happy with existing. You know, I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't boycott, uh, or or I don't, you know, Actively rail against, you know, pretty much anything, the handful of exceptions, I guess, but you know, those, those, those companies existing really actually allow smaller companies like us to exist. Um, you know, if, if there wasn't big macro kind of homogenous tasting booze, I don't know, there probably wouldn't be smaller micro super interesting booze because kind of everything would be that. So every, every type of importer or distributor plays a role, just like bars, you know, you have dive bars and they exist and you have tiki bars and they exist and you have whiskey bars and you know, whatever else they all kind of slot in somewhere and, and play a role to the, the wider landscape of everything so yeah, I've somehow gotten very far away from my education but yeah
0: <laughs> No that's that's perfect man because I was, I was going to say like Brett is actually the main reason why Fuchsia, Tiki, and New Paltz is actually as proliferant and as successful as it is is because this man helped curate our first uh, rum list, our first hundred rums in fact he was the man who kind of introduced me to a lot of the smaller producers and a lot of the really cool quality stuff that you don't really see in the big box stores, because literally, man, you were like one of the first people that I met who was genuinely interested in your position and genuinely like cared about the products and genuinely knew the story of the producers and the families and what they were doing and why they were doing it. Yeah, um, which kind of goes back to. How oh, some of these other bigger companies just have sales reps, and the sales reps are like, "Here, can you just do me a favor and take a case of this because I need to meet my quota?" And it's like, "Do you know anything about it?" No, it just tastes good. Yeah,
1: there's that, and then there's you know, if if, if you have. Tito's in your portfolio you don't need to work to sell Tito's it's places need Tito's um <laughs> you don't have to actually actively sell Tito's so yeah it's a totally different kind of thing it's it's uh I mean they like I said the those kind of companies and the kind of company that we are kind of almost couldn't be more different Yeah. You
0: know? no and that's and that's probably what put put us on the map and kind of give us a, a starting chance to kind of like Make a very very diverse portfolio and kind of grow it to to what it is now, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just been growing. But again, I yes, just yeah. I, ha- I have you to thank for our, <laughs> for our success, especially in the opening months, kind of like not knowing what to do and kind of like all right, here's the rums you want to grab. As as nice as it is for somebody um, like you to have a
1: rep. I you know not to toot my own horn but like me that actually gives a shit and knows what they're talking about it, the reverse is is true as well you know I mean I work with some places or you know also attempt to work with some places who I would love to tell the story of you know a bunch of the stuff sitting in front of us right now and they don't actually care. They care about what is the, you know, the deepest deal. Um, you know, is there a 5K deal? How, how much How much can they save on it? Um, will this sell instantly? Can I do an in-store tasting? Um, why is it this expensive? Why is it that expensive? So, you know, also attempt to work with some places who I would love to tell the story of a bunch of the stuff sitting in front of us right now. Uh, actually care they care about what is the you know the deepest deal um you know is there a 5k deal how how, how much how much can they save on it um will this sell instantly sting um why is it this expensive why is it that expensive so um you know to 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 meet and work with somebody who actually cares about the products that we peddle is as rewarding and um uh, rare really as it is for you to meet you know a sales rep who, who who gives a shit beyond you know getting some stuff in your well and and making their, their 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 monthly quotas um but uh yeah no i remember it was i think just shortly or no you you hadn't i think when no, we first no, met. i remember we met upstairs yeah um I, I, and you know when i heard uh you know a rum bar a tiki bar is opening in my neck of the woods um you know relatively talking upstate new york i I feel our radius is my neck of the woods you know i pretty much cover most of upstate new york for for pm um we have we have somebody up in up in rochester who does some stuff up there as well but for the most part outside of the city it's um but uh yeah you know I, i i met for for a couple hours and i was happy to talk your ear off and it's rare that somebody is happy to have their ear talked off so
0: yeah no it was lots of really good information and lots of knowledge and I've taken that information and used it whenever I have guests coming in, and they're like, "Oh, I really like whiskey." Okay, well, you're gonna really enjoy this part of rum or Mm -hmm. this style of rum because X. Um, Fully like, I had a guy, one of my first rakes, Celzo, who's Mm -hmm. probably now. uh, He came in and he was like, "Dude, I really like beer." And I was like, "Well, I got a limited selection of beer, but I really would love to try you on something cool." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Well, I really and I like loggers, and I really like sour beer." <laughs> and for whatever reason, the first thing that to sour beer was the funk, yeah. which you gave me the whole lowdown on. It's uh, for the you guys listening. It's a Jamaican overproof rum, pot still, very very aromatic. It's it, it's a really really unique taste, and I made him a daiquiri with it and he was saying it was like nice. and uh it was kind of just down the rabbit hole thereafter and now he comes in like once a week and he's tried it every tried everything on the menu he's gone through like most of the rums on my back bar all right what else can you make me
1: <laughs> nice for a for a funky daiquiri definitely makes sense i feel for our beer or like an ipa person who prefers extremes and flavors um i would i was having a conversation with somebody recently um, about, I can't remember if they were talking about wine or about beer, but they, you know, they tended to like things more extreme in nature, and there was somebody else in the car that liked things a bit more, um, not mundane but straightforward, mm-hmm. um, and it can that can kind of easily translate. It's You know, not, it's not 100%, but it can kind of get to a lot of kind of spirit categories. You know, if somebody's into super hoppy IPA and or really funky, sour, they want to get into rum, I'm going to lean towards pouring them something from Jamaica or Haiti, mm-hmm. um, if somebody's more into, you know, maybe whiskey or stouts or just kind of simple lagers, you know, might lean more towards, uh, like that. Um, you know, and then, you know, that works a lot. And it also sometimes doesn't work. I know people who, uh, prior to like getting into rum, they had pretty, um, not boring taste, but straightforward taste. And, uh, you know, now they, the stuff they find most exciting is super funky, overproof white Jamaican rum and, you know, clarin And, you know, I've had people who, who, who love, um, you know, super bitter IPAs and sour beer and they, they just can't really get into Jamaican rum, but they love, you know, uh, rum from, from Foursquare MLK or, you know, stuff like that. Um, so it works sometimes, but so it doesn't always work. Yeah.
0: yeah. How would that rate like in comparison to like Trinidad, for example? Trinidad, I, I think of similarly. And again, you
1: know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, um, uh, Group one entire country into yeah. <laughs> in, into into one specific style. Um, you know, obviously there is a Jamaican style, but it's definitely a spectrum. You know, Appleton is 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 on the not very funky side of the spectrum when it More comes mild. to Jamaican. Exactly, but at the same time, if you pour Appleton for somebody who's only been drinking Bacardi and Mount Gay, it's going to you know feel pretty funky to them. Trinidad can vary, you know, there's, for the most part, anything from, from Trinidad right now is gonna be, um, old Carony um, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, something from, from Angostura and, um, Angostura, a lot of their, um, a lot of their, their own, own bottled products are, they're, they're fine. I mean, they're, they're, they're rarely, know super incredible um they have a couple that are definitely like up there but there are some really interesting like independent bottlings of um of uh, of rum from from angostura where uh you know it's a single cask and uh, you know the, the the sort of style that angostura distills and blends in is um you know they blend a little bit of of kind of heavy rum very heavy, very flavorful, potent rum with a lot of higher proof, uh, kind of lower flavor rum. I, um, I think the, I think aguardiente is, is the term they use for the the sort of heavier, more flavorful stuff. And once in a while, you can come across a single cask that instead of being a blend of like, you know, 90%, you know, the the, the lighter stuff and 10%, the Aguardiente, um, you know, maybe it, it's a single cask just of the Aguardiente. So, nice. Um, I mean, this is kind of the equivalent of, uh, I mean, am just thinking about this because I'm literally looking at it right now, but when Hemden Estate rum, the seven-year-old Hemden Estate rum was first bottled and, and kind of imported into the States by Le Mason and Bellier, um, the way I explained it to a lot of people was kind of talk, re- relating the the world of rum to the world of um, scotch where until really like the sixties single malt scotch wasn't much of a thing you know you drank blends and that's why the most ubiquitous and popular you know, brands of scotch are you know blended scotch like johnny walker and and uh, you know stuff like that because like johnny walker was literally a person and his job was he would buy barrels and you know make his own blend and stuff like lafroye or lagavulin you would never drink just their single malt that that stuff was made for for, for blending as everything really was, um, and then I can't remember which which um, Scottish distillery released the first like sort of contemporary modern single malt. But um, you know, from there, single malt became sort of the um, you know the upper echelon compared to blended blended Scotch. Um, you know, with with plenty of exceptions. But um, I mean, that's the way the rum world used to work too. This the Hampden Estate bottlings that came out just a couple of years ago are the first um aged rums from Hendon Estate that have been released, you know, with them with their name on it uh ever and Hendon's been around for over two hundred and fifty years. Um because for the most part their you know their business model has always been they sell in, in bulk to blenders and bottlers, whether it's um, you know, independent bottlers directly or ENA Shear, the big blender in um in the Netherlands. Um and their rum, you know, Jamaican rum is the you know typical funky high ester, very flavorful rum. And if you were, you know, Joe Schmo, and you wanted to make Joe Schmo's rum brand in you know whatever the UK or or, or the US, you you know you're going to source some some you're going to source a lot of not very flavorful rum and a little bit of very flavorful rum and blend that together, and you're going to wind up with something that is you know fairly flavorful. Um, and that's why some of those kind of really funky um, heritage Jamaican rums fetched higher prices, um, but it's- it's the same idea going back to, to Trinidad and Angostura. Um, you know, they do that similar blend of a little bit of very flavorful stuff and a lot of you know, higher proof, less flavorful stuff. But yeah, once in a while you can come across a single cask that is, you know, essentially just that super flavorful aguardiente, Um And it can be a real joy for sure. But yeah, Trinidad doesn't necessarily always slot into one easy like category yeah yeah it's similar to like you know guiana is the same where there's basically just one i mean there's one distillery there and uh you know diamond or ddl and they have you know their own brand with el dorado but they have like i don't remember if it's six or seven or eight eight stills eight different stills there so they can create a lot of different profiles so you can't really just say rum from guiana tastes like this Um, you can say el dorado tastes like this because you know that's that's what they're most most well known for um but they also you know sell a lot in bulk and they do some single casks and you know they do They've released some, like, single marks and stuff, so the the Seville still, and they have, uh, you know, a few others that can create, you know, totally different flavor profiles. So, again, even though there's, you know, just one distillery there, you can't
0: necessarily easily categorize it. Into, like, one group like Lemonheart and uh, Hamilton like those those guys also come from DDL right
1: uh well yeah i mean hamilton hamilton is like a is, is an independent bottler so he has stuff you know his 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 demerara comes from DDL and then also he has stuff from jamaica and he's done a bunch of saint lucia bottlings but um yeah i mean to me, actually, in my head, like, Hamilton, um, Demerara, the just like the regular, the 86, that's, like, you know, g- generic Guiana rum for me, and generic in a good way. Like, that's what I picture when I picture, or that's what I taste when I, you know, imagine rum, rum from Guiana, um, mm-hmm. because that is... You know, just solid eighty six proof rum from Guiana. It's not sweetened, unlike um, you know, a handful of their 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 own brand El Dorado bottlings. Um, but it's also not something totally like off profile like you might get with some of the, you know, independently bottled single casks from Guiana.
0: No, that's that's cool. And and this is exactly like what I'm talking about, is that you can just kinda jump in and, and pick any bottle <laughs> off the shelf and just kinda like deconstruct it and when Shannon Mustafer was here mm. uh, not too long ago when she did Rum seminar She kind of broke up rum into like three basic categories like your spanish your english and your french i mean for for kind of like layman's terms i mean would you agree with that it's um
1: it's useful to an extent yeah
0: um you know there's especially the past five ten
1: years everybody's trying to kind of figure out the the best possible way to categorize rum because everybody who who knows about rum wants to move away from just calling stuff, you know, white and gold and dark and spiced (laughs) and 151 because none of that means anything. Um, You know, when I, I do a lot of sort of like rum 101 stuff for, you know, whether it's a new bar or a new store or a store that wants to start buying uh, good rum instead of just, you know, bad rum. Um, And, you know, one thing I'll always kind of point out is like a lot of what one would call white rum, even if you're thinking it's unaged rum, it's not actually unaged. It could be aged for... Several years and then filtered, like Eldorado 3 or Havana Club. Um, you know, those rums have, have been aged and then have the color filtered out. And at the, at the same time, you can have a rum that looks, you know, it could be the darkest thing on your shelf and it could theoretically be unaged and just have a bunch of you know, caramel, uh, color. caramel coloring in it, or you know, it could be just two or three years old and way too dark for, for, <laughs> for what a two or three year old rum is, is going to look like, uh, you know, kind of regardless of where it aged. But, um, you know, I like to point that out. And from there, people kind of realize, like, so nothing.
0: My whole life is a lie when it comes to rum, yeah, nothing makes any sense whatsoever, but it 's like exactly I, I always tell people too it 's like you don 't really call whiskey like light whiskey and dark whiskey, so it 's like why do you kind of categorize rum the same way? like it should be really evaluated as this really interesting and, and diverse product because you have like all these variables at play, give you endless possibilities yeah, for sure,
1: um, yeah, I mean white and gold and dark those are those are essentially useless terms um, <laughs> and yeah, you know there 's um, the sort of you know Martin Kate has you know, developed his sort of categorization style that he kind of um, you know made made widely known with with his book some years back, and um, that definitely makes sense too. But um, you know even with that, there are some things that could either fit into multiple categories or don't fit into any. Um, and you know Luca Gargano has uh, you know a, a sort of a classification system he's put together, and you know just like everything else, it's uh, you know there are there are there are pros and there are cons. Um, the the, the spanish english french kind of um trichotomy is is definitely useful too because there are a lot of overlaps essentially in in, in production method and to an extent in, in, in taste flavor profile in terms of countries that you know are either part of one of those countries or you know basically were colonized by those countries um there's definitely been a move away from at least in the industry and you know among enthusiasts there's definitely been a move away from using that as a um you know as a way to categorize things just because it you know essentially invokes the colonization of countries against their will as, as colonization tends to be. And, um, you know, we want to talk about, you know, the, the people and, and the countries, um, and the places where the rum actually comes from. So, you know, while one might want to categorize, you know, Haitian rum as, as a French style of rum because they use fresh sugarcane juice and fresh or, you know, boiled down sugarcane syrup and they speak French there. It, it, it makes much more sense to talk about it as Haitian rum or, you know, you can talk about Jamaican rum as, you know, English style, but it doesn't make any sense because do you have any rum from England here? <laughs> um, I mean, I, you know, there is some, but it doesn't taste like what Jamaican rum tastes like. So, like I said, it makes sense to an extent, but I and many others feel there's a, there's a, a better way to do it because we want to talk about the people who are actually producing the product versus the, you know, the people who colonized their country, I mean, however many decades ago. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a perfect categorization system. We're definitely moving towards having a ton of information on bottles, which is great. You know, as you probably know, the other spirit category I'm super interested in and very much into uh, is mezcal and, and agave spirits, and that's something that's very prevalent in mezcal as well, where you you have so many details on the on the bottle label that you might not wind up with any questions because every Everything is answered in the bottle you know i'm staring here at some habitation bellier bottles and um you know some Clarendon and uh hamden and uh you know stuff from hamilton and um transcontinental and foursquare and that you know there's just there's so much information on these bottles which is great honing in on as many details as you want um i don't think there will ever be a perfect system where you can say like okay there are x categories of rum and this fits into that and that fits into that because so many of these things can fit into multiple categories um you know again just going to hamden it's you know it's a funky jamaican rum it's not crazy funky but it's a funky jamaican rum so you know that could be your category but at the same time It could be a sipping rum. And at the same time, if you're feeling fancy, it's a great cocktail rum. Um, I mean, the, the overproof Hamden is like makes an awesome old fashioned at 60%. And, you know, rum fire is obviously going to slot into your, um, you know, funky Jamaican overproof unaged rum. Um, but it's also great in cocktails and it can fit into where a cocktail might call for white rum or it can fit into where a cocktail might call for Jamaican rum, even though it's calling for aged Jamaican rum. So all that is to say, there isn't a perfect system, and I mean there are systems that are helpful for sure. But uh my 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 advice to people is always just learn a ton about the actual bottle, <laughs> you know about the. I, I guess I'm, I'm fortunate in that it's literally my job to know a lot about this stuff, and everyone doesn't necessarily have the. Um, the time or the ability or desire to necessarily want to learn every single detail. Some systems are good, some are bad. That's the yeah. nutshell
0: version. <laughs> yeah. But I mean that's that's a good point though. Like in in this day and age we're also starting to take a step back and kind of realize that yeah, some of these categorizations and some of these assumptions we've made are kind of completely wrong and yeah. kind of face the hard truth that colonization was a very, very bloody process yeah. and same with like rum production, it's 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 not pretty. It was never pretty. Yeah. And the sooner we start to get away from the fact that, like, associating rum with, like, tropical beaches and these yeah. really cool cocktails. It's like, no, it's, it's got a very diverse history, and, like, we should hone in on that and kind of acknowledge its existence instead of shying away from it. And-
1: yeah, I mean, there's plenty of rum that's tourist trap rum for sure. But, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. there's there are bottles that, you know... Uh, you know, when you see a new bottle come on the market, and it's just covered in I don't know pirates and and you know beautiful palm trees and and whatnot. You can sometimes just tell like I mean, this is just these people didn't even try. It's this just, just it's super lazy. Um, I mean, there are places that make rum that don't look like that at all. And um, you know, you, you you might show that to somebody who's made rum, you know, or whose family has made rum for generations, and they'll you know they might say like this doesn't represent us or what we make or anything. But you know, as in any spirit category, category, and you know, I mean, really any product, there's a lot of shitty marketing. Um yeah. but uh yeah, we're definitely moving more towards highlighting the actual human beings that produce products and, you know, their world and their culture and um you know rather than the name of the guy who uh you know who who bottled it, Johnny Walker or the name of, you know, something that the marketing firm they hired thinks sounds good and people associate with uh, you know, coconuts and pirate ships. <laughs>
0: I want to switch gears real quick on sure. uh, COVID, actually, yeah. because how are bars staying relevant? Especially like, how, how are you able to kind of stay afloat and keep keep those sales up?
1: The very sad reality is there are plenty of bars that haven't been able to to stay afloat. Tons have have gone out of business, or you know have kind of been dug into a hole so deep that you know we don't know if they'll ever be able to get out. So so it's been you know thirteen months now, I guess since kind of uh you know for places first started closing at least here in new york and you know i think it it, it was only two or three weeks after stuff started, started closing down in, in march of last year that like our first customer basically said like we're going out of business it's only been a month but we know we, like we can tell we're not gonna we're not gonna make it out of this so we're not gonna kind of dig it any deeper but yeah so that's like the very sad reality and um you know a lot of Awesome bars and and restaurants will literally never come back. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom for sure. Some places have definitely been able to stay afloat, pivoting towards to go or, you know, really anything they've been able to do to stay afloat, whether it's home meal kits or, you know, home cocktail kits or, um, you know, delivery and to go. And I mean, I've, I've had a lot of the, a lot of the customers I work with start doing to go stuff. Places I work with that were like primarily bars versus, you know, primarily being restaurants have kind of, um, actually sort of like beefed up their food program because people might not necessarily want to get a bunch of booze to go but people still want to eat and you know that's that's the way they've been staying afloat i mean for a long time it was a lot of treading water especially down um in the city i mean i i don't work directly with any of our customers in the city obviously i'm here upstate but you know we have um four or five reps down in, in new york city covering the five boroughs and yeah, I mean, a lot of people had to... Be, a lot of bars and, and restaurants basically had to lay off most of their staff and close for a while. And then when they reopen, it's on a skeleton, you know, real skeleton team with just as as few people as as possible to, to exist. And, um, you know, n- nobody's raking in money. It's, you know, a lot of places are losing money uh, or a lot of places are basically making enough money to pay their rent and that's it. Um, nobody... No bar owner is, is, is paying rent and, and, and taking a fat check home or anything. Um, there's been a lot of change. Um, I mean, I also, I mean, uh, um, on the other hand, so I work not only with, with bars and restaurants, but with liquor stores and you know, retailers. And last year, there was like an explosion on the, on the retail side because bars and restaurants can be closed, but people still want to drink. Uh, so people drink at home. Um and, you know, I had some customers last year who maybe previously were the kind of place that made, you know, a small or decent order every month or every couple of months to, and they changed to, um, you know, a place that's placing huge orders two or three times a month because the bars and restaurants around there are closed and people want to drink at home, you know? Um, and it's definitely slow, it kind of plateaued and then slowed down a little bit. Um, but retail, I would say retail at the moment, at least kind of in upstate New York is definitely still kind of, uh, Bigger than it was this time last year or this time two years ago in terms of retail changing, uh, there's been a little, there's been a lot of kind of different, different approaches. I've had some places who have slimmed down their offerings, but, you know, bought in larger volume. The idea being that, um, you know, you can make more money that way if you're, you know, a volume discount, essentially, um, but they don't need to necessarily offer 17 American craft bourbons, you know, maybe they cut it down to just two and buy those deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I've had retailers who really never missed a beat and only got, you know, more and more customers and maybe added delivery or, you know, curbside pickup and stuff and added more and more items, whether it's rum or, you know, really any other spirit category. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot has definitely changed. Uh, right now, obviously we're seeing, uh, bars and restaurants start to kind of come back to life you know some had a few months ago and some are just kind of slowly creeping back to life now and you know it's 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 a very nice thing to you know get a call or a text or an email from from somebody who uh you know i maybe haven't heard from in two or six or eight months or you know only once or twice and you know they're saying hey we're opening back up you know can, can we get some booze uh nice. It's uh, it, it's you know having people buy stuff from us is always nice, but also it's just nice to hear places reopening, um, places that actually you know made it, made it through this bizarre year plus now. I'm trying to think what other sort of changes, changes and trends I've seen.
0: Like social media changes. Like I've, I've noticed personally, like there's a lot of bars that are doing, uh, videos and kind of like doing se- zoom seminars on like cocktail classes. Yeah.
1: Especially like the first, you know, six months, I'd say so like March to September. Or so there was. There was so much seminars and zooms and facetimes and online sessions and this and that i mean i remember it was probably in like april or something where it's just like people obviously didn't expect this entire pandemic was going to last this long and it's like cool let's just you know let's do a seminar or you know a, a zoom seminar once a week or whatever even like with pm we you know we, we did some stuff as well and i remember a couple instances where like my phone you know i get notification from instagram every like 10 minutes like so and so is going live with so and so and this and that and it's eventually just get zoomed out, and then you know we're having kind of a once a week team meeting on Zoom or as we used to have a once a month uh, once a month you know person uh in person meeting at our office, and yeah, so I mean social media has definitely changed. Uh, in terms of education, I think for sure. Um, you know, people who just kind of need something to do because your bar is closed and you still want to talk to people about stuff and you're super knowledgeable about some spirit category because you haven't
0: seen people. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's only 17 seats and everybody's six feet apart, but you know what? I'll take that 17 seats over no seats. Hey.
1: Yeah. Just in the past few months, I've, I've really like set foot back in bars again. Not even really with... Uh, like during, during bar, during, during open hours, obviously we're here in the bar right now and you're not open, but, um, you know, most of the time I'm going to a bar for, for, for work purposes, it's generally not during open hours because, uh, you know, the worst thing you can do as a sales rep is walk into a bar that's open and say, Hey, want to, want to buy some stuff or want to taste some stuff <laughs> while somebody's, um, you know, three deep at the bar. But, uh, yeah, I mean, last week I was at Lawrence park up in Hudson, which is nice. an awesome bar. Definitely yeah. one of my favorite bars around and, uh, got to. Sit and enjoy a cocktail with nobody else in the bar because it was you know three p.m. or four p.m. and uh, you know Matt Matt there I, I had poured some stuff for 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 Matt just because I was I was in town and yeah just to sit and have a cocktail there I don't think I'm trying to think I, I wound up later that day going to William Farmer in Hudson as well nice. and, and getting a couple oysters and a mai tai from Sean there and that might have been the first time that that was at like 6 or 7 p.m. that might have been the first time in like literally 13 months that I've sat and ate and drank at a restaurant that was open um they i mean th- their capacity has been cut in like I don't remember if it's 25% or 50% right now they're doing no bar seating and just a handful of tables but I was able to kind of sneak in and, and grab some oysters and, and have a cocktail for, for 20 minutes before heading home. So that was nice. It felt very different. It felt like kind of new again, like going to a bar for the first time again. Yeah, you um, feel like
0: a kid in the candy store. It's like, ooh
1: yeah seriously i mean i feel like a kid in a candy store sitting in front of all this rum right here right now i mean i have a ton of booze at home and a ton of rum at home but you know i do rum so sitting in the rum bar is awesome for sure um but uh yeah it's nice to telling you earlier i just got my my second vaccine let's see an hour and 45 minutes ago so i'm excited to you know, not not go clubbing and go crazy or anything but to feel a little less hesitant about things and to uh Feel yeah. a little bit more human. Yeah, a little more human and, and, and be on the road a little bit more. I mean, my job prior to COVID, like I was on the road two, three, four, sometimes five days a week, kind of all over the state. And when, you know, everything shut down and kind of traveling stopped and meeting people, you know, meeting with buyers and, and owners and, and stuff stopped, you know, we kind of pivoted towards dropping samples off for a place or sending stuff in the mail or not doing anything at all because places weren't buying anything new. So... You know, I I, you know, over the course of the past year there have been a handful of times where I've met met with somebody at a at a bar or a retailer and poured stuff for them or dropped them samples off, but I mean nowhere near the frequency with which uh, I used to do it and, which is, you know, kind of been a, a blessing and a curse. It's a curse cause that's, you know, that that's my job. We want to be out and about, you know, pouring stuff and selling stuff to people. Um, but I've also got a, you know, almost two year old at home. So it's, it's been good. It's been good to be able to do a lot of stuff at home too. And I do a lot of stuff for PM that isn't just, you know, sales rep stuff, a lot of kind of operations and logistics stuff and mostly pretty boring stuff. You know, there's plenty of work for me to do from home. So, you know, I basically work from home and go out once in a while uh you know more and more the past the past couple months but still not very much at all yeah so it's been cool to be at home with with my with my son and also be able to work and you know i mean as a company we we didn't have to lay anybody off we didn't have to you know cut anyone's pay or anything like that kind of the opposite in fact retailers were were a big part of what we you know what what our business was last year retailers and um especially out of new york um a lot of like single cast purchases so i guess for, for for those listening who are unfamiliar in new york we're just distributor and and um nationwide we're an importer so we you know import stuff that we will then sell to our distributor in you know, california or texas or florida or um you know kentucky and in new york we sell our own imports in addition to you know products that other people import but yeah like groups and stores um buying single casks of you know Arbignac and cognac and um, you know single batches of of mezcal over the past year year and a half um have been you know a growing part of our business and you know that's been great you instantly move 30 40 50 60 cases of product whereas you know that tends to go way more slowly but yeah we've we've definitely pivoted as you know as a business in 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 some respects as well in addition to you know the bars and the restaurants and the retailers
0: Brett, we're almost out of time. Mm-hmm. In case anybody wants to reach out to you, if they have questions about spirits or PM spirits, where could they reach you?
1: I have uh, my email address. I'm happy to receive email from anyone. It's uh, Brett, B-R-E-T-T, Kozin, K-O-Z-I-N-N, at pmspirits.com. Um, on Instagram, it's Kozinski, K-O-Z-I-N-N-S-K-I. I'm generally responsive. Very cool, man. Very cool.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. My I pleasure. really appreciate your time. Guys, I will see you next time.